what do you think? Are you as excited as I am about this? <laughs> um, I don't know. You seem extremely excited. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm quite excited. Uh, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable uh, by Navic. And today I'm joined by Aaron Bush, a co-founder of Navic. You've heard him in the past episode. And Thomas Baker. Uh, Thomas is a new joiner to the Roundtable. So um, yeah, could you do a very quick intro? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Tom Baker. I've been in the games industry for about um, 15 years. Um, most noteworthily, I was at EA for about 10, um, where I worked on IP like um, Mass Effect and Need for Speed and The Sims. And I was also a lead designer on the Real Racing franchise for about seven years. Um, and I've been senior consultant with Navic for a couple of years now. Impressive CV. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We can move on. We can move on. So I have this. <laughs> I have this idea. I I do this with people I meet in real life. Um, so if you think it's weird, I'm just weird in real life. And mm -hmm. I just ask a very random question to try to get to know people. So nice. I thought about a question when I was walking to the office this morning. Do you mm. ever have a situation where you're walking on the street? And then a stranger ends up walking side by side with you because you're walking at the same pace in the same direction. Mm, yes. Okay. What um, do you do in that situation? Do you walk with a stranger like Journey? You just uh, go together? Do you walk faster or do you just walk slow to avoid the awkward? I, I, no, I, w I would not walk at the same pace. I would um, kind of make a calculated judgment on whether over time extrapolating based on our current travel speeds and our apparent destinations, um, whether it was going to get to the point where it was really awkward or whether it was going to be briefly awkward. If it was going to be really awkward, I would either, yeah, I would either accelerate if I'm already moving faster or slow down more if I'm moving currently slower. So that's a massively nerdy game design response. Wow. You probably learned more than you wanted to. But. That was great. I love this. Is why I love these random questions. Yeah, I got to know well, a lot. That was awesome question. Um, I just <laughs> I just walk side by side with people. I feel oh. I, I feel like I am in the game journey. We just are together for that small period of time, and then we each go nice. our separate ways after enjoying some time together. Uh, okay. Yeah. How about? Yeah, I I I don't want to impose. So that's that's why I avoid the. Possibility. Anyway. How, how about you, Aaron? <laughs> I like your answer. <laughs> how about I like Aaron. So I'm, I'm, it's currently 1 p.m. for me. For Thomas, it's 11 p.m. For Aaron, it's 7 a.m. And I'm asking this question to you, Aaron, with your donut hat <laughs> at 7 a.m. Uh, most of the time, I'd probably be the person to go faster. Um, if, if it were right now, though, I think I'd go slower. I don't have the, the energy right, right. To, to find extra speed right now. Yep, <laughs> makes makes sense. All right, so we have some pretty big news. I know it's already been announced on the newsletter uh, by Navic, now rebranded as Navic Digest. And we're going to be talking about the first free-to-play premium content as our first topic today, which is the deconstruction of Garena's Free Fire game. And uh, followed on to that, we're going to briefly discuss uh, the mobile game earnings were down during Q1 2022, just trying to figure out what, what could be going on. And um, I also, I thought it was a really cute topic, uh, Bloodborne Cart. It's a fan-made game about Bloodborne. Uh, yeah, it's just so interesting. I've never heard about this. So I think it'll be, it'll be a, good, a good discussion. Um, <clears throat> Just before we move on to the to the topics, I just want to do a shout out because it was Pocket Gamer Mobile Game Mobile Games Awards 2022 um, Tuesday evening, and so they announced some winners. So huge congratulations to Cookie Run Kingdom that won Pocket Gamer People's Choice Award, and that's developed by Dev Sisters and Beatstar that won Game of the Year 
and it's developed by Space, Va Space Ape, who also won the Best uh, Developers Award. So congratulations. I play, yes, I'm coughing. <laughs> I actually play both of these games. So very happy that they won these awards. Awesome. Have you, have you tried them? Uh, I have not, I'm ashamed to say, but I certainly will. Okay, well, Cookie Run Kingdom is adorable, so I recommend everyone to try it out. Okay. Yeah, so Aaron, um, just before you dive into the deconstruction, what, what's going on with Navic? What's this new premium track of content? Yeah, it's a better transition than you might think from what you just said, too. So, uh, but I'll, I'll explain why in a second. So, so Navic <laughs> Pro, um, you know, it, it used to just cover blockchain games. Um, you know, we had ongoing game deconstructions. We had weekly market updates. We had weekly essays that dug into, you know, various trends, companies, games, you name it, going on in the industry. And we just launched our second vertical, uh, free-to-play mobile, which we're super excited about. And and Thomas is one of the the pros that's helping us, you know, bring this um, to life and help make the the free fryer deconstruction possible, along with Eva, who unfortunately couldn't join us today, but she she had a huge role to play in that as well. Um, and in this free-to-play mobile vertical, um, you know, subscribers will also get ongoing game deconstructions, weekly market updates, um, and ongoing research essays that cover a wide variety of topics across um, the mobile games industry. And it's a better transition than you thought because our next deconstruction is of Cookie Run Kingdom, you know, digging into <gasps> like why this game that you wouldn't suspect is doing as well as it is doing. Um, and so I actually downloaded it like two days ago and started playing it yesterday. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a super, it's a super deep and pleasant game uh, that I'm excited to dig into and share <laughs> share more about with all of our our subscribers the world of cookies um, but you know the kind of the the best part about you know this subscription is that um, you know this new vertical edition it's within the same subscription that existed before so for you know the same thousand dollars a month or ten thousand dollars a year if you want to pay annually for for a discount you know subscribers will get four monthly game deconstructions two weekly research essays and two weekly um, market updates so we'll be adding even more um, over the months to come really our goal is just to build the number one platform for games industry insights and research period uh, all within one subscription so so if that sounds interesting to you or you want to learn more, definitely go check it out at novic.co slash pro. Um, and if, you know, by chance you want to inquire about getting multiple seats for your team um, or just learn what your options are there, uh, you can reach out to me at Aaron at novic.co. So, yeah, I'm super excited to, to be ramping all of this up over the next month and making Novic Pro, you know, two times bigger and better than it was a month ago. Uh, first, so excited. Is Cookie Run Kingdom? My mind is blown. Okay. I'm, I'm so happy we're sharing this world of fuzziness and cookies with all, all of our audience. Uh, oh, right. I, I didn't realize. Yeah, it's all, it's all within a subscription. That's really cool. I like that pricing. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, we're trying to make it as valuable as possible. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm excited by it. And I, yeah, I'm glad <laughs> you are too. Maria, I hope other people are as well. <laughs> We work hard. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it makes sense with how much the world is converging and the line between free to play and web three is starting to get a little fuzzy or over time, even within companies that currently develop free to play. So I think having access to the two verticals is extra important um, in this in these times we're in. Okay, well, we will then jump into the deconstruction. Uh, in case you have not played Garena Free Fire, uh, Thomas will do a very quick overview of how the game plays. It's, it's a battle, um, how do you call it? A battle royale. Battle royale. So I don't think there's anything kind of new that they do, but maybe they do. Thomas, tell us, well, mm -hmm. what is this Free Fire? Hmm. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I could explain what Battle Royale is. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone would know yeah. it by now. They yeah. drop into massive map, blah, 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 survive, win the chicken <laughs> dinner, etc. cetera. Um, so the things that Garena Free Fire does that are different 
Um, like the, the essence of Battle Royale has basically been the same since popular uh, since Fortnite popularized it. Um, you know, or PUBG actually popularized it back in in twenty sixteen. Um, but there are some subtle but really quite important differences between the way that Free Fire does it and other games do that have allowed them to um, really capture a larger audience. Um, one one of the critical things is that the the player count is is half the regular hundred, so there's just fifty people dropping in, which um, has all sorts of benefits. Uh, as a mobile title, the map doesn't need to be so big, which means it has a smaller memory footprint and it takes up less space on disk and doesn't take as long to download in the first place. Um, it also means that the the matches are shorter. Um, so yeah, that it's kind of more compatible with that, uh, you know playing on the go um, style that that tends to be prevalent on, on mobile. Um, and then they've done a bunch of other things like uh, loot is very plentiful. Um, so there's, there's basically no chance that you won't have a decent weapon when you encounter another player. Um, the, the gunplay is really kind of mobile friendly. They've got some heavy auto aim. The, the, the weapons are very low on recoil. Uh, there's not much bullet drop, so yeah, in, encounters tend to be um, players tend to be fairly evenly matched when they encounter one another. It's it's not as like technical or it's not as kind of heavily dexterity based as um, as some other shooters on the platform. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on. There's more. There's more in the decon. They've kind of taken the the Fortnite building mechanic and distilled it down into just simply placing walls, um, glue walls, so that like serves a primary function of being able to control the flow of battle and get a defensive kind of barrier up between you and some opponents very rapidly, but without all the input complexity of something like Fortnite where you have to like harvest resources and then switch modes and, and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, they've, they've made some really smart technical and game design choices that have enabled them to scale to that insane uh, 1 billion downloads mark that they've managed to hit. <clears throat> How such, Greener Free Fire is mobile only at the moment, correct? Uh -huh. Okay. Do, yeah. do you think the design choices, we see that because it was designed as mobile first, whilst mm, the majority of the other battle royales on mobile were originally designed for console and then ported? Yeah, I think that's highly likely, yeah. Um, yeah, the, it, it, it has a very mobile first um, kind of vibe to it. Um, and they have they've deviated from the tap from the template uh, in ways that pretty much no one else has. And yeah. I think that you can see the benefits of that um, you know, playing out over those one billion downloads and, and its dominance. Um, of, of the subgenre. Yeah. I think it's definitely friendlier to my dexterity skills. I get crushed yeah. in other <laughs> battle royales. Yeah, I mean, shooters on mobile are kind of a weird proposition. They're, they're not simple games to play on any device, but on a touchscreen, like, really quite challenging. So they've, they've made some very smart concessions to that, um, yeah, to, to make it friendly, like you said. Um, before we dive more into the game itself, I was wondering, Aaron, do you could you explain to us who Garena is and what other games they have developed, if if any? Sure. So um, yeah, the background here is pretty interesting. Um, so Garena, so the parent company is C Limited, um, but you know Garena is really the subsidiary company that's focused on games, and it was the first element of what C Limited became, which C Limited has a market cap of like 60 billion. It was over 100 billion um, earlier this year. And so it's actually like a pretty insane company that's working on a bunch of things, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, Garena specifically, which was the first part, um, it really started as like a publishing platform for uh, console or PC specifically uh, in Southeast Asia. And so uh, they really began with a partnership with Tencent to publish, you know, some of their games, you know, most notably, you know, like some Riot games like League of Legends and Southeast Asia. And that's how they built up 
the you know the first parts of their platform and the other you know just social components on that platform as well as seeded an audience um, and you know where it was able to you know build a business and make money and then build a team to enable them to no longer just be a platform to publish other people's games in the region but to start um, developing and publishing their own and uh, Free Fire was was really like the the team's first and only like step into um, publishing, developing and publishing their own game, which is a pretty great first game to <laughs> to to make um, uh, and have succeed as much as it has. And so, um, yeah, Garena, you know, then kind of shifted its focus to doing much of its own development and live ops around the world. And part of what has made Free Fire so interesting, and we can dig into this this more potentially is how it's been able to succeed in the regions that it has. And so, for example, um, Southeast Asia is obviously a key region for Free Fire, but it's also done well in Latin America. It did well in India until, you know, the recent ban, like really clamped down on the, the base game there. And it's doing, you know, surprisingly well on Android um, uh, in the U.S. too, where it makes quite a bit of money, but really, the kind of the the pattern among all of that is that it's been able to succeed on lower end um, Android devices um, and regions that were underserved by the other battle royale games. So obviously, you know, underserved and compared to like more of the PC oriented games. And and uh, Free Fire came out in late 2017, I believe, which is the same time that like. Battle Royale in general was starting to take off and you started to see like the explosion of of PUBG, the explosion of Fortnite. Uh, Free Fire was in that explosion as well. It just targeted other parts of the world. And so, you know, most of us, um, you know, and in, in our, you know, more English speaking countries um, weren't didn't see Free Fire be part of it. We saw the other games, but Free Fire was was very much there. Um, and the kind of the last part I'll mention about why this is so interesting is obviously when a game blows up the way it does and ends up getting a billion downloads, it generates pretty meaningful like business along the way. Um, but why C Limited um, is was so interesting to me is that it's not just taking its profits and you know just sitting on them. It's reinvesting pretty much 100% of its profits um, into other other business avenues, primarily Shopee, which is the leading e-commerce player in, in Southeast Asia, which um, didn't start that way, but has since you know risen to, to pretty, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say dominant market share, but growing in majority market share of e-commerce in Southeast Asia. Um, which is an even bigger opportunity than video games potentially, and that that you know has is what has driven the business to be worth you know sixty billion plus. Um, the gaming is awesome; it's provided that profitable foundation, but um, leadership has been able to reinvest to to make this rising conglomerate really more of a juggernaut to to take over more um, rising you know, just important elements of what, you know, the, the internet enables, um, primarily in Southeast Asia. So e-commerce, and they also um, do some stuff with C-Money, which is their more like fintech division. Still small, but growing really fast. And so, yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating company uh, and fascinating to, to really dig into and understand um, not just Free Fire's role in Garena, but Garena's role in the entire C-Limited ecosystem. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And just to give an example of how well the game performs, uh, I was on a long haul flight and there was someone using the airplane Wi-Fi, which is terrible, and they played this game throughout the flight. <laughs> that's how good it is um, in maintaining that that multiplayer performance. So when I before I joined the gaming industry, I was working in selling food products, and you had these products that had payment terms that were very much into the future. And so the way that a lot of the companies are organized in that industry is that you have a part of the company that has products that you can just put into a supermarket and you get immediate immediate payment. And then that acts as a cash flow for the rest of the business. 
so it seems that this is a similar case where Garena is providing that that more immediate cash flow into the rest of the of the company. Do you think this will we'll see more of this in the future in games where big companies that are in other industries buy a games company to have that cash flow effect? Um, I don't. I don't think it would be as simple as that. I think that. Um, a company would have to be still be very focused on making sure that if it's acquiring a games business that it can win at gaming. Uh, but I, I do think that we will see more internet companies and just tech companies that have their own ecosystems um, look to gaming. One, because, um, you know, if you build a successful gaming business, you build a large audience and then you can use that audience it's not just the the cash flow that you can use, but you could also point the audience to other things potentially across your ecosystem. And you see it with companies like right. like more in like traditional gaming as we know it, like Xbox, right? Like they they have they serve a bunch of gamers, but then they're able to like build a larger ecosystem around things like XCloud, which is built on Azure, etc. Um, and so I think just more that mindset of like ecosystems in which gaming is a part. Um, that will be a good mindset, but I I doubt you know these internet companies conglomerates will will just look to buy gaming companies just because they're profitable and want to use mm-hmm. the the profits. So there will be a deeper strategic layer there. Interesting. So um, Tom, oh sorry, Thomas. Uh, I was just going to say um, <clears throat> even if they do acquire them, uh, I mean we've seen. Um, Google, Amazon, Netflix all attempt this and flounder to varying degrees. Um, Amazon has gotten a couple of hits under its belt in the last six months. Um, But yeah, it's certainly not a simple proposition. Um, So yeah, I think the the way that Garena did it is, is interesting. They started with you know, they started in gaming and that, that is their thing and they expanded elsewhere um yeah i wonder if that's uh that's more viable as a strategy um yeah Yeah. i mean epic maybe i'm being a little bit proud as a game developer but (laughs) i I think game like game development is insanely complex like as an intersection of entertainment art technology um yeah and business it's like and software development is like just ridiculously uh, intricate, the number of moving parts there. Um, I don't really know whether it's more complex than other industries, but um, I like to think that it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the game's first element is important there. You can see it with other companies like yeah. Epic that, you know, started making games and then created this whole other enormous like tech ecosystem. Um out of it mm. it's hard i mean these are the exceptions these are like the very yeah. rare companies that are able to pull something like that off but when you find them you normally have something pretty special and um we don't have the time to go as in depth as the deconstruction um however thomas if there was something about the monetization of the game did anything take you by surprise or you yourself as a consultant in this area you thought oh this is really smart and i can see this being applied to other games yeah yeah there there are a number of things that free fire does uh, monetization wise that are quite unconventional um probably the most noteworthy i would say is selling both cosmetics and power um most battle royale or you know competitive online shooters tend to not do this um uh, kind of part of the deal i think um or the the kind of contract that players uh, opt into when they start playing an online competitive game typically is that the um that it's going to be kind of level playing field uh, and and in battle royale you know you drop into the map and everyone has the same chances um you know skill and luck notwithstanding everyone starts from the same kind of uh, initial um kind of stakes or um yeah starting position um whereas free fire yeah that there, there are a bunch of ways that you can with spend um you know afford yourself an advantage um, but but 
the really smart thing about it is that they have, I would say, kind of made landed the game, uh, pardon the pun, in like the Goldilocks zone of selling power where um, it's it's just influential enough that I think players are um, willing to invest and see the value, but not so influential that it feels fundamentally corrupt or unfair. Um, and that's a function of a number of different things. It's got to do with the fact that like, just because you've got a powerful gun variant doesn't mean that you'll find it when you're wandering through randomized, you know, loot locations. Um, it's got to do with like the fairly hectic and randomized nature of encounters in battle Royale where like, you don't know when you're going to find someone or who they're going to be or how many they're going to be, or is it going to be you versus a squad or several squads converging, blah, blah, blah. So there's, there's all these randomized elements that kind of um, like dilute the power that you purchase. Um, so that's one really interesting thing. And then, and then the other thing that really struck me about its monetization model is that a lot of the cosmetics and um, power are temporary, which, um, right. you know, some other games do this. Uh, you know, co temporary cosmetics have been popularized in Korean games for quite some time, but um, temporary power is quite unusual to my knowledge. Um, so, yeah, not only are they managing to sell stuff uh, that other people typically wouldn't, but they're also selling it and reselling it. So, yeah, I think I think that's how you're seeing the LTV um, that you are. So they've got this really healthy, you know, ridiculously high production values, hyperactive um, cosmetics and battle pass and heavily themed seasons thing going on, supported by insanely well-produced, you know, animations and in some cases live action promotional material. And then you've got the power and then, a lot of it is temporary. So yeah, they they are doing a lot of things um, that are unusual and very effective. Um, and further to that, mm, and this is perhaps to their detriment in terms of being able to expand into other um, like tier one countries where other battle royales are more established. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how excited your average PUBG player would be about the prospect of facing off against people who have weapons that are better than theirs or um, or how excited they would be about spending and getting something temporary. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of works really well for them because they launched this way and they have captured an audience and um, that is the precedent that has been set for that audience, yeah. primar primarily in Tier 2 and 3 regions um but i don't know how well it would translate although we are seeing you know very healthy revenue in the u.s so maybe i'm wrong yeah that that does sound very interesting uh, it sounds like the game if another type of game would do that they would also have to find a way to balance it with that randomness that you were describing it's not it's not a lesson that games can plug and play with less a bit less complexity um, and being able to fit with different core loops, like the battle pass, that's something that is fairly simple. It's still complex, but fairly simple to adapt to, to different genres and different different core loops. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, oh, just, I agree. By the way, what is the Goldilocks zone? I've never heard that expression. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, just like not, not too powerful, um, but just powerful enough, like just oh, right. right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think maybe I made it up. I'm pretty sure I did. Oh, no, sounds <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was wondering how much of how much of the acceptance of the potential buying power and power creep is about the audience. If some other game tried, a battle royale tried to do that with a with a tier one audience, if they if they would be accepting of it. Um, so you said that the game is having good, well, is having great success in the United States. Why do you think that is? Hmm. Uh, I think. I th I think um, it's 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 really taking off on on Android in the US. Um, you, you can see um, that the numbers uh, of of battle royale uptake in the US. I think is is for PUBG. 
um, is really dominated by iOS from memory, um, whereas uh, yeah, Free Fire seems to have really kind of landed um, like very nicely on on lower and mid tier devices on on Android in the uh, in the American market. Um, Aaron, this is perhaps your more, more your area of specialty. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that. Um, yeah, it's doing well on the lower end Android devices because that's what has been underserved. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they were just able to tap into a a niche that probably not many people thought really existed. Um, and you know, in terms of the like percentage of downloads, like it's very low um, in the U.S. Uh, compared to you know the total of the world, but uh, the you know the percentage of revenue is is really high because um, you know even though you know these are low end devices you know it's still a a you know a wealthier spendier country than than other places you know whereas you know India for example it was getting like a pretty enormous percentage of downloads but it still only represented like two percent of the game's total revenue and so it really was just the yeah. complete opposite of that in the U.S. But you know interestingly now like the company. It finds itself, especially after losing uh, a region like India, that there that like one of the countries that it wasn't really meaning to target, <laughs> that it was trying to you know serve more of these like other underserved like major regions. But this this other region is now, which represents a minor like a tiny minority of players, is now like a really important revenue driver. And so, you know, as they've seen some of these other regions fall off. Um, it's it's actually like really important that they don't screw up um, the the U.S. even though it never really was their intention, which is just like an interesting, you know, side effect of what's going on. So when you mentioned India, it's because it was banned, Free Fire. Yeah. So there were there were yeah. like a ton of bans that happened. Um, I forget the dates. Like let's let's call it like last year sometime. Um, that that banned just a ton of like Chinese affiliated companies. And so this is when like PUBG Mobile, for example, was originally banned. And that's when Free Fire swooped in and became you know like the dominant battle royale game in the region. <laughs> but now it 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 oh. got banned, um, or at least its base game got banned. Uh, you know, there's Free Fire, the base game, and then Free Fire Max, which is it's more, you know, I guess it's targeting more premium devices. Um, but so strangely, that that tier of the game isn't banned, and none of us have any idea why. It doesn't make sense why you would only ban the base game, but not the not the max version. Um, but but yeah, either way, I think it got banned because of its relationship to with like Tencent, and probably, you know, I mean, it's all like a very like politicized you know, occasion when these things happen. And so it really is more politically driven than probably anything like really substance driven on Free Fire's yeah. part, which, I mean, this is a Singapore-based company. They just happen to work with Tencent. And so, yeah, they probably share like yeah. like user data and, and things like that, which is actually like going to be like pretty normal to share like game data with big partners that, you know, are the backbone of, you know, a lot of your your platforms and, and stuff. So... I, I think it probably was blown a little out of proportion, but um, you know, India was still able to kind of use it to, um, you know, push some of these games aside, which also probably helps their own like domestic market too of developers find help them gain more market share themselves. But yeah, very interesting. So based based on that, Aaron, um, is revenue and DAU for Karina Free Fire on a growth path? Not anymore. So it, it had like a pretty explosive, oh. I don't know, call it like three years um, where, you know, not only did it do well, but it was it was like really a phenomenon in, in a bunch of these, these regions. You know, kind of similar to maybe how a game like Fortnite was um, uh, around us where like it was just like a thing that, you know, you know, this, like this particular summer, like, you know, that kids are going to be like, you know, spending like every day in Fortnite with their friends. And it was just like the cool thing to do. And everyone was rallying behind it. Free Fire definitely had that moment in these regions. And those moments are just impossible to sustain because people 
just naturally move on from whatever's at like peak height to, to new things. Um, so, you know, like a bit of that has been playing out with Free Fire, um, you know, but like probably paired with, you know, just like post COVID tailwinds and people just start spending less time into playing these games among among other other trends that are probably more region specific. But but yeah, more recently, um, you know, the number of downloads, the revenue in these key regions has been has been trailing off. And so, you know, we were kind of digging into, you know, to what degree it has been trailing off. <laughs> Obviously, India getting banned, that takes it about down to zero um, in that in that region um, for, you know, new downloads and, and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not the same juggernaut in terms of growth that it once was. Yeah, now, now I understand why you're saying is hopefully they can protect their market in the United States. Right where they're getting so much of their revenue. So Thomas, um, I know we have Apex Legends, the mobile version, on its way. Um, we know that Free Fire is doing this huge collaboration with BTS, where the band members are even creating their own character costumes, something like that. And they're doing mm -hmm. a music video in in the mm -hmm. game. But now we've also been discussing about the ban in India and the, the metrics that are on a downward path. What what do you think we'll we'll see next from Free Fire? Um well I think I mean if 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 I were them I would <laughs> my first step it's kind of a boring one, but it would be to really slow down and kind of address tech debts because um potentially part of the reason for that decline that Aaron was just talking about is that the game is so uh, perpetually reinventing itself in all these deep and amazingly like fancy ways that it seems like it's actually harming the technical stability um, and performance of the game, which is kind of an ironic problem for Free Fire to have because it rose to prominence on the basis of being technically accessible and, and now it's kind of buckling, um, kind of flying too close to the sun. So yeah, um, that's that's what I would do if I were them. But like in, in more exciting, um, you know, possible news, um, like they, so one thing that we haven't talked about is uh, Free Fire Max, which is this, kind of funky sister app that is basically just Free Fire, but um, with HD assets and a couple new features. Um, it has completely shared economy, shared accounts, shared progression, shared live ops. Like it is Free Fire. It just looks better and it has a map editor. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's really interesting. Um, and uh, one of the reasons they might have done that, other than kind of a marketing play, is um, maybe it's a step in the direction of going cross-platform oh. because, um, yeah, because in uh, September, I don't know, some, sometime in 2020, they acquired um, the, the studio that does Dauntless, which is a console and PC cross-platform free-to-play game. Um, and... It's not like an obvious acquisition, so maybe there is subtle strategic um, value to that. Maybe they are, you know, maybe that acquisition plus the HD release of um, Free Fire with Max is is a step towards a cross-platform HD version, um, which would be really interesting and kind of see them, in a sense, stepping into the shoes that that Fortnite vacated. Um, when it started its fight with with Google and Apple. Um, so that's, yeah, that's one possibility. And yeah, maybe they go transmedia, like um, like League of Legends, uh, Riot has done, um, you know, maybe they turn it into a TV show. They already have a lot of very slick promotional material. Um, so maybe, maybe they can spin it out into its own kind of pop culture universe and make the game much bigger than the game and become like a, a cultural phenomenon on that scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also hope that they can um, really improve their UGC element, Craftland, 
um, which would be mm. just like a really mm. unique differentiator for a battle royale game, especially like a, a mobile based one. Um, uh, we, we haven't talked about it too much, but part of like what also made Free Fire so successful is like their skill in like region based live ops where they have like tons of events around like like Maria, you mentioned BTS. Um, and that's like a really cool collab, but it's not the first of that of that kind by far. They've done a ton of collabs with other artists and athletes and, you know, other organizations and like, you know, when movies come out, kind of like Fortnite, how like Fortnite has like collaborated with anyone and everyone. Um, Free Fire has kind of done its own edition of that, but, you know, targeting its own specific regions and along the way, like building its own, like mini games, like in the app and all sorts of crazy things, which I think I agree with Thomas that they probably need to slow down a little bit on some of that and just reassess what really is going to move the needle and not create even more tech debt. Um, but the, the Craftland part, the UGC element, um, is really interesting. And I'm pretty bullish on the idea that, of just like when you have these enormous player bases, if you can enable them to create on their own, that is a source of building like a really interesting competitive advantage, especially if the others that you compete with aren't doing that. Like a PUBG mobile, I don't think is doing anything like that or Call of Duty mobile isn't. Um, so that would be really interesting. Craftland isn't perfect. I think, um, uh, Thomas, you might want to correct me on this, but I think like to, like you can make your like experiences but then in order to like spin it into its own server that then you can like share with people you have to like pay in order to share your experience mm -hmm. which completely like breaks the logic of yeah. what would make ugc go viral um so i think they would have to kind of fundamentally look at their business model there maybe give up some revenue in terms of the like a creator sharing what it has created, but ideally, like if you've set your system up the right way, you're going to create a lot more revenue by enabling so much more creation and so much more engagement. Um, and uh, plus too, if they do go cross platform, that could even work really well on, on, you know, console PC too. So yeah, I, I'm really, really curious to see what they do with, with Craftland. It's there for a reason, but I think has been under, under invested in and under thought through, but if they can get it right, could, could have pretty, pretty unique upside. Yeah. Within U UGC, within a free to play game, I'm interested to see, to see how that will play out. Maybe like you were saying, because it has such a, a high DAU, it is successful. I've, I've had a recent exploration within UGC and free to play. And if it doesn't provide good rewards to players, they might not want to spend time playing the UGC. Uh, but yeah, because they won't get rewarded for it and they're doing it for community fun, but they're not actually progressing their game. Mm. But I do, maybe that's a topic for another time, but I, I, I am curious to see whether, um, how, how it'll perform within, within free fire and when you mentioned Dauntless, I just realized I might be wrong here. I was trying to find that information. <laughs> I think Dauntless was a bit of a poster child during the development of Epic Online Services, that they were using them. I might be wrong. I, I, I just have this recollection about Dauntless development where cause they're integrated now with the account system of Epic, I believe. So that yeah, that I could right. that could be extra interesting of bring, bringing that relationship with a publishing platform that has all of these services, account linking that has been proven and with Dauntless, and maybe they had a way to sh help shape what the services are now with EOS, and then that integration mm -hmm. with with Free Fire and those connections. Cool. Ah, well, mm -hmm. I have to confirm this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I'm going to have to, well, we won't be able to talk about um, Bloodborne Cart. I really want to ask this question. So <laughs> I think we're going to have to create a topic, uh, topic debt backlog. Um, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, is Garena Free Fire for Battle Royale genre, what Royal Match was to Match 3, where you have all of these really big names within the genre that people are already accustomed to, and then there's this company that shows you, actually, you can still penetrate and be very successful in a market that can be considered a red ocean because you find 
that tiny bit of the market that's not addressed yet and you can find huge opportunity? Yeah, I would kind of more equate it. It's, it's an interesting analogy. I think there's some truth to it. I would more equate it to um, Supercell and um, and Clash Royale, kind of taking the taking the MOBA experience and distilling it into something that's more mobile friendly as as a format. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, they haven't gone as far. Um, like that, you know, it's the same perspective that they're. There are many more similarities between Free Fire and other battle royales than there are between Clash Royale and I don't know League of Legends. But nonetheless, I feel like it's it, they brought that mobile first, maximum accessibility mentality to an established genre, and um, kind of proven that when you make a game accessible to you know an even broader audience. Um, you can find new success. Whereas my, my understanding of Royal Match's story is like they took everything that everyone else had done before and just did it that much better mm -hmm. that, um, that, that they could scale super hard. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was very interesting deconstruction. I, I have read it as very intricate, super deep, and I recommend going into the details. We've only brushed the tip of the iceberg, really. So if you want to read the full deconstruction, check out Navic, get in touch about um, signing up to their Navic Pro service. Um, yeah, thanks, thanks, Thomas, for sharing all of your knowledge. <laughs> you did a big chunk of that consultation. All right. In uh, less great news, um, the mobile game earnings uh, were down 7% during Q1 this year. So this was a report by Sensor Tower. Um, the Google Play market revenue uh, for this period declined 13.8%, and the Apple App Store dropped by 2.3%. Um, Aaron. I'm scared. What does this mean? Oh no. Um, well. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's important to put it in perspective. I, it, it's not really that surprising. So in Q1 of 2021, so last year, um, the the number was a 25 percent increase in mobile gaming sales, and that was that was unsustainable. Um, so. That was you know getting the benefit of still a lot of people in lockdown. Uh, that was pre-IDFA deprecation. Um, and so, you know, you look at today's 7% decline, you know, a lot of that is the the COVID, um, you know, post-COVID headwinds now. Companies are now, you know, facing the IDFA deprecation, which, you know, um, a large percentage of mobile studios are facing some kind of revenue loss from um, and trying to redeploy ad spending and try to, you know, find higher ROI elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, the truth of the matter is that the market like should not be growing as fast as it was um, last year. And so this is just like a natural reset. And if you look at like a two year trajectory, um, it's still like the trend line is still about even, I think. Um, and so I would expect this is one of the things you can't really overthink. It's just more of like a sign of the times of where we are in the cycle. And it'll it'll return back to growth. It might not return back to growth in the next quarter or two. Uh, there'll still be some more of that cycle to to work through. But at the end of the day, this is still a still a fundamentally a growing market. I think um, there will like in the same way that like IDFA changes kind of rock the industry. I think there could be more things like that that happen in both good and bad ways. Um, that could, you know, change those growth rates, you know, in the next year or two. But um, that that's just sort of how I think about the kind of that current 7% decline. Okay. I think I'm going back to when, you know, at the New Year's, there's usually a lot of blog posts and content being created about predictions for the future. And one of the predictions I saw going around was that the mobile game market is going to start going on a, a decreasing trajectory. Um, and then I saw this, I was thinking, no, this can't be true. Okay, but it doesn't <laughs> sound so doom and gloom. 
um, is just part of the cycle, like you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's just a reset, I think. Okay, and something that was curious. Yeah, I mean, you can't oh. you can't spike twenty five percent year on year and then not expect a correction of some sort a year later. It's like the hidden the hidden sting in the tail. <laughs> the numbers look bad, but they're probably not. Right. Yeah, that I think mm. that makes a lot a lot of sense. And as, yeah, something that I've been very curious about is what makes the difference between Apple App Store and Google Play audiences? Because we also saw this difference in the numbers within Garena Free Fire, and we saw that the decline was larger in Google Play than the App Store. Is it just purely based on the number of users of those platforms? And so you see more of a decrease on Google Play? I'm honestly not 100% positive. Sir, sir. Oh, go ahead, Thomas. Uh, I am also like one and a quarter percent positive, but like <laughs> I, I have a random like pop psych or pop sociology theory, um, which is that unfortunately the people who happen to own Android devices also happen to be the people who are more. Uh, uh, less able to do their jobs as a result of um, as a result of COVID lockdowns because they tend to be people who need to physically go somewhere to do the thing that earns them the money. So if they're locked inside with lots of spare time not working, then perhaps they're online socializing, spending, and therefore the spike, and, and this isn't backed by numbers um, mm -hmm. or anything, in fact. Um, <laughs> But maybe, you know, maybe the spike a year ago was higher on Google Play for, for those reasons and therefore the drop is higher. Uh, the drop is higher, yeah, comparatively now. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting hypothesis. Okay. And um, I was looking at the highest grossing games on the App Store and they were Honor of, Honor of Kings, uh, which is from Tencent, PUBG Mobile, uh, also from Tencent, and Genshin Impact, uh, Hoyaverse. Are you surprised by these top three highest grossing? No. I I, I mean, I'm pretty no. sure these have like been the highest grossing <laughs> for, for a little while. So it's been uh, maintaining the status quo for a little bit, I think. Yeah, it feels such powerhouses. Uh, how can... I'm, yeah, I'm very interested to see what does a company have to do to compete with them? How can you get your foot into the door? To make a top three gaming, uh, like a mobile game by revenue? Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's easy. <laughs> 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 yeah. Once you, you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Thomas, <laughs> Thomas will figure it out. Uh -huh. um, yeah, sure. Um, no problem. Uh, well, I mean, I think it helps, you know, that those games are huge in China and China has a very, you know, <laughs> it's the most populous nation on the world, in the world. Um, so that probably helps their middle class, you know, is continuing to emerge. Um, yeah, I mean, smartphone adoption continues to grow. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and actually I read recently that Apple device adoption is growing um, like quite, quite notably um, in China as well. So, um, yeah, the fact that they were topping the App Store is, yeah. I mean, yeah, do, do you, don't, you don't, one does not simply dethrone um, games, games like these. <laughs> <laughs> Something has to be very disruptive to to knock the knock the hit off its perch. So, yeah, I'm just waiting to see that day. I don't know, it just feels like such an exciting landmark when it happens. I think the industry will be different as a whole. It's, it'll be massive. Yeah, well, it has happened. Like Genshin Impact, for example, is probably the most recent one there, and that definitely was a a breakthrough mm -hmm. game of its type. Before that, uh, you know, like a PUBG Mobile, that was also like a pretty incredible breakthrough of its type and uh, and I, I don't remember when honor of king started but the last two those are pubg mobile was made probably like four or five years ago four years ago um and uh, yeah the 
um, Genshin. Yeah, Genshin. Genshin. Thank you for the word. Um, you know, it's only, I mean, <laughs> that one's only like less than two years old. So, I mean, it would not be surprising yeah. at all, you know, within the next year or two to see some other like newer games compete yeah. for that, for the throne. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really encouraged by the fact that they're all, they're in genres. You go to MOBA, yeah. Battle Royale, and uh, um, action RPG, action sort of, RPG, yeah, yeah, action RPG. So yeah, I, I think you know, just like from a from a gamer perspective, I I think that's really healthy. Yeah, I I think from a game dev perspective, it scares me a little bit entering entering into the Chinese market. How do you do that? There's so many regulations, and then I think they have these rules where your game can only allow a certain amount of hours uh, for people under a certain age and verification of ID. It just seems that there's such a huge wall to climb in order to get your game in the uh, well circulating in the country. That unless you're a big company or associated to a big company like I don't know Tencent, for example, it's just so difficult to do that. I don't know how many yeah. consultants there are out there that do help companies just take that step and help them enter <laughs> the market. Yeah. Well, we do have one on staff at Navec, actually, coincidentally. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've been part of teams that were trying to get a game into China. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't easy. In fact, it was impossible. It didn't happen. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's um, even harder now, like, I'm I'm pretty sure approvals of mobile games have ground to a halt. Like right. it's 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 effectively not an option. Um as far as I know. So Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll just manage my expectations. The game I work on <laughs> won't top the grossing chart of the app store. <laughs> oh, I can live with that. <laughs> Settle for number four. Reach for the sky. Yeah. <laughs> And I know we only have four minutes left. But I really want to talk about Bloodborne Cart. Let's do it. Can I? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. All right. I'll try to do a really <laughs> quick intro and try to explain what it is. So um, Bloodborne is now on its seventh anniversary, I believe. And there's a creator called Lilith Walther who created a Bloodborne PSX D-Make. I didn't even know this was a thing, but it's when you take a game, maybe like a modern game, and then you D-Make it into a, an older console generation. Um, so the creator, uh, it, it, if you play the, the, the D-Make, it's like you're playing the initial part of Bloodborne, just copy by copy. Even the intro is the same, but on a PlayStation 1. Uh, it's a perfect render of it. And now the creator is doing uh, a, a cart version where <laughs> I think you can you can race and you can race against other characters from Bloodborne, like Father Gascoigne, uh, and have these, I don't know, fun cart races in also a PlayStation 1 type setting. And it goes down into the detail where you can intentionally slow down the game's frame rate so that you can have those uh, those moments uh, during the boss fights where <laughs> you're just trying to fight them, but the frame rate is down, so it's a lot harder. Um, they also increased the loading times so that you have that <laughs> really painful slow chug <laughs> that you used to have in PlayStation 1. Um, yeah, it's just, I didn't know this existed. And I'm, I'm also surprised that from software allowed Lilith to do these fan projects considering how it's, it's a like-for-like -like usage of the IP and the first D-Make, it's, it's essentially a copy from, from the beginning of the game, I believe. So, yep. yeah, I don't know. Thomas, what, what do you think? Are you as excited as I am about this? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. You seem extremely excited. <laughs> um, I'm... I'm quite excited. I think it's amazing that it exists. It's the most hilarious, incongruous, like genre IP mishmash. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like a positive version of when EA resurrected Syndicate as a third-person shooter with a Skrillex soundtrack like ten years ago. But this this is like something everyone wants, even though it doesn't make any sense. Whereas that was something no one wanted. Um, but yeah, I guess. Um, it's it's really uncommon for developers and publishers to be this kind of 
mm, permissive. Um, you know, you see so many takedown requests from like Rockstar or Nintendo. Um, so it is, it is very odd. Um, it's, it, like I, I read an interview with, with the guy who directed, um, Elden Ring recently, which is from software game, obviously. And, and he talked about how, um, everything in the game needs to have a certain kind of poise and finesse, um, and grace to it. And, um, and how that's kind of present throughout the entire game. And you can, you can really feel that. But anyway, my point being maybe someone very influential who has a very artistic mentality near the top of, you know, from software, which is, um, you know, uh, like, um, which published Bloodborne and maybe someone is, is looking at these creations and going, no, this, this is treating the source material with the respect that it deserves. Um, I don't know that I would look at it and be like, yeah, a, a carding, <laughs> carding <laughs> game featuring the Bloodborne player character is, um, is necessarily um, graceful or um, full of finesse, but uh it, it exists, so that's pretty glorious. It, you have to watch the trailer because it has this sort of bit retro wave entrance song and you see the main character outfit just walking towards the motorcycle in a really cool, powerful way. I know, it's, it's just, it seems, it seems fun. seems a fun application of the IP and I know there's a lot of players out there that Bloodborne is not on PC so I think it's also a little way to keep players who can't play the game because they don't have a PlayStation experiencing it um, I hope yeah I hope we see we see more of this uh, it's, it's, it's so awesome when we see creative people spending their free time making these fan projects that the quality is so high I, it just impresses me that uh, there are such people out there in this world, and it makes me happy. Yeah, yeah and I don't think I don't think yeah. this person is making yeah, any the, money on it either. Mm. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's purely just like a passion-driven project, and also probably part of why um, From Software is okay with this being out there, or probably just a piece of why. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes me happy. I don't think I'm as excited as you, Maria, but it, it makes me. It still makes me happy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess like the kind of kind of the the spin that I would put on this is like it it's sort of like it just brings kind of like the concept of modding up. Like, you know, there was like a an era and it still is true where like modding on games just building crazy stuff based on the the IP and material in the game. Um it, that was like a thing. And then it kind of shifted the market has shifted more towards like indie developers just kind of like building things separately, you know, inspired by stuff, etc. Um, but I I really think there still is an opportunity for modding to make like a comeback, but in like a better way than in the past. And so I was just thinking back to um, a conversation I had last year with um, Scott Bryce Manis, who's the founder and CEO of Mod.io. Um, we have an interview um, of, of that conversation with him on our on our website. But anyways, he made some like really interesting comments. Uh, but I guess in short, like Mod.io, like for example, they're they're basically building a platform that makes it easier for all of these different games to like enable modding on their platform uh, or just based on their game and then like integrate it much more into the gaming experience where people can just build um, more crazy things. And to me, like, it just feels like a lost opportunity. Like, I know Bloodborne is its own, like, is its own, like, very, like, specific experience. And, like, a ton of games are like that, too. But even just, like, having the capability for these things to be made that are connected to your um, your core game experience, that I, I'm super bullish on that idea. Um, and especially like if things can just be integrated really well, where you can you know just download download uh, you know something that looks interesting, even though it has nothing to do with core Bloodborne experience, versus it having to be made one hundred percent separate by fans that sits one hundred percent separate from the game itself. Um, it would just like this is cool, but I think uh, 
it would be really awesome if the ecosystem could evolve to support more of these kinds of people, much more connected to the to the games themselves. It might be an uphill battle to convince a from software to enable that kind of capability in its games, but um, I don't know. Uh, projects like this, to me, just like prove that it's so worth it <laughs> to to enable that that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I actually don't own a PC to, to game. I just game on my uh, mobile phone or my console. And I feel like I totally miss out because I see these videos of people doing just weird stuff in yeah. games. And you could totally get me playing more hours in your ecosystem and in your game if you allowed me to just do, I don't know, strange things within it. I saw this video of a player playing, I think it was Elden Ring with Homer Simpson <laughs> as the character. <laughs> it looked absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I love that. Um, we're all, oh, sorry, Thomas. Yeah. I was just going to say bizarre. And I mean, the thing about modding is people are going to do it whether you, whether you auspice it and monetize it and bring it into your ecosystem or not. Um, there's all sorts of mods failed and ring like, yeah, the Homer Simpson one, um, and an Elden ring mod for Tekken seven as well, which yeah, <laughs> the director of that game spruced on Twitter and was like, this is amazing, but please stop. But anyway, that's, that's another kind of related story. Um, yeah, but like pe people are going to pour their love and creative energy into these bizarre, um, bizarre kind of spin-off experiences. So like Aaron said, if you can harness that and bring it in-house um, and smooth the passage, then yeah, that it's it does seem like a really healthy opportunity for everyone involved. Mm. We are a little bit over the hour, so we have to wrap mm. up this episode, unfortunately. I could keep going about this subject. Maybe in the future we can talk about it for a bit longer. Um, yeah, so... Lilith Walther, keep rocking, keep doing this. Thank you for spending your time doing this this remake. Well, not remake, but fan project for Bloodborne. It's really appreciated. And thanks, Thomas, for joining for the first time. Awesome, Ho thank you. Hopefully, it was it was good. You'll come back one day. Oh uh, yeah, gladly if you'll have me. Okay, if, good. Yep, good. <laughs> uh, and thanks, Aaron, as well for for joining. Always fun, even though it's seven a.m. Yeah, maybe not 7 a.m. <laughs> next time, but um, it was fun. Always happy to chat all these things with you, Maria. Oh, All right, well, um, <laughs> I hope you have a good day and join us for the next episode next week. Bye, everyone. See you.